Welcome to A Little Too Quiet, the Ferndale Library podcast. It's brought to you by the friends of the Ferndale Library. My name is Jeff, and we have Grady Hendricks on the podcast. We're so excited. Uh, one of our favorite authors, especially for me, because I, I really love the, the horror genre. But we're going to talk about that because uh, Grady does some really interesting things with some of the books he's written, and perhaps you are familiar with them, uh, includes the Ikea-inspired book Horror Store, as well as the Final Girl Support Group, also the Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires. Grady Hendrix's latest book is called How to Sell a Haunted House. And like a lot of his other books, there is a mixture of earnest drama with kind of zany, surreal horror and kind of off-the-wall Sam Raimi-esque gore as well. And we talk about how there should be an element of fun as well as an element of actual emotional substance coming back into the genre of horror. And he executes that perfectly with this book, How to Sell a Haunted House, which is about Louise. She is now a single mom of a young child, and she has just received the news that both of her parents have been killed in a tragic car accident that is going to require her to fly across the country back to her childhood home in Charleston. And she's going to have to basically just go about the business of all of those painful things that follow the death of a loved one, the death of a family member, whether that's the funeral, but specifically what that usually means is the home. Are we going to move everything out of it? Are we going to sell it? Well, that should be the plan, yes. And how do we grieve while we're doing that? First 50 pages really dig into that, but then it introduces Louise's ne'er-do-well uh, erstwhile brother, Mark. Mark has not left Charleston, and by Louise's perception, Mark has always been the favorite, uh, the favorite son, the one who always had it easy, whilst she is the older one, the more put-upon one, the one who had to be the responsible one. But Mark comes around, and unfortunately, Louise, whether she likes it or not, is going to need his help to get the house ready for sale, because it'll take more than some new paint on the walls and clearing out of a lifetime of memories to get this place on the market. But some houses don't want to be sold. And Louise and Mark's home, their parents' home, has other plans for both of them. And since this book just came out, there's already been a few reviews out there that have revealed that among some of the things that they discover inside of this house, it includes their eccentric mother's collection of folk art and quite an array of dolls and puppets. And there just happens to be one puppet that always creeped Louise out the most when she was a child. It happened to be her mother's favorite puppet. Now, does this puppet come to life? Does this puppet cause uh, vengeful mischief? Uh, you'll just have to open up the book and find out. But in the meantime, stay tuned. Here is our chat with Grady Hendricks about his latest book, How to Sell a Haunted House. Think I'm, I'm supposed to be a professional. <laughs> I appreciate that. I appreciate the time and the opportunity. Thank you so much for joining no, me. Thanks for me. Also, I really like your setup that like you're sort of further back from the camera. Yep. I feel like I'm watching a Wes Anderson movie. I know. And I'm symmetrically aligned. Everything is just perfect. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, 
it's really I, I'm 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 impressed. Thank you. Yes, I feel like I should have like a teacup, maybe. Uh, yeah. I don't know if I like twee enough. Um, so anyway, thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, you know we uh, are our library hosts. I mean, this is a library podcast. We are a library, and our library hosts a monthly book club. And we and we did the final final girl support group recently, and everyone everyone loved it. And you know what? Everyone really loved about it is just the characters. And uh, so I don't have a question to start with. I just think you're so great at characters. Um, I really appreciate yeah. that. I always feel like it's a lot of struggle, and I'm not that good at them, and I'm trying hard. <laughs> but um, I've also learned doing this that. Um, I'll usually have a first draft that's like, and a second and probably a third, um, that is very, oh, I want this plot twist and this set piece and this cool and this thing. And all my subsequent drafts are taking out all that stuff and chiseling down on the, the characters yeah. and getting like just chipping away at them. That's all people want. We are we are monkeys who want to see other monkeys do things. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that's the fascination. Well that's one that's one way to put it. And let's let's dig into that because you are very much, especially with how to sell a haunted house, uh, very interested in the human experience, especially the experience, perhaps, of the grieving process. Uh, the uh, not not an entire spoiler that the book is is split up into these sub sub chapters, sub parts that are the the steps of going through the grieving process. Because our brother sister duo at the beginning of this have lost their parents, and I just wanted to start before I really get into that is just since I have you here, I really cannot resist asking you the question, the horror question. Uh, I feel like everyone is always surprised when horror is more than a guy with a chainsaw or a girl in a bed vomiting on priests. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, horror earned that reputation. I mean, yeah. it's on us. Um, <laughs> I wrote this book, Paperbacks from Hell, which is about the history of the paperback, horror paperback boom in the 70s and 80s. And horror went from, you know, Rosemary's Baby in 67 to about 95 when the last um, – paperback imprint got shut down and what happened was it would always jump on trends and in the late 80s after silence of the lambs in 88 came out the mm -hmm. trend was serial killers and horror had there were some other reasons too that were going on but they were all very much horrors on making and horror really became um every horror novel was a, a serial killer book that featured lots of just gruesome misogyny. Yeah. Not all of them. Listen, yeah, yeah. there are exceptions, but but a lot of gruesome, a lot of torture, a lot of sexualized violence. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, as the market was getting glutted by overproduction, all these cover artists were in, well, these art directors were in an arms race with each other to capture readers. And the, the way they decided to do it was gory and gorier and gorier covers. And a lot of the cover illustrators, many of whom were women, moved to romance, which mm -hmm. was the last bastion of illustrated, fully painted covers, because they were just like, I mean, Lisa Falkenstern, who's done so many horror covers, she said, you know, instead of being funny and clever, horror covers got gross and gory and they weren't fun anymore. And so when horror kind of flamed out, the impression it left with everyone was that horror was gore porn. Mm -hmm. You know, it was for boys and it was about gore and it was about murder. And um, and that's really been a hangover that's lasted a long time. And I say thank God for the mid to late 90s on television, because yeah. that's when we got the X-Files. That's when we got Buffy. And 
Charmed came later and Supernatural. And those were shows that I think taught their audiences to expect more from horror. Horror could be funny. Mm-hmm. Horror could be romantic. Mm-hmm. Horror could be about friendship. Horror could feature women. Right. And that those kids who grew up on that stuff, they are the decision makers today. They're the gatekeepers. They're the audience too. And so they expect more. Right. And, and so if you're not delivering it, you're screwed. And now we're in the A2, A, A24 era of horror. Exactly. Uh, so, but yeah, that's that's something that people sometimes ascribe to your books is the word fun or or zany. And not that the the entire book is comedy. You are you've always been so good about that balance. But let's talk about this book and and really what it what it took to get the delivery of this book right. Because when I was in the first fifty pages, Grady, I found myself actually like almost crying. Oh, I think you were. I you. think you were plucking those those strings because the 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 symbolism here of a haunted house and you a sudden death of the parents and the parents gone and the the physical bodies that used to live there, all the family memories. Maybe just talk about where the real inspiration for this book came from, and uh, what it took to get the tone right. Because man, it really yeah. Me. Well, so thank you. Um, so really, this book I wrote during the pandemic and. Um, like everyone, we weren't around our families and I really wanted to hang around a family. Mine wasn't available. So I made one up and, um, I really spent a lot of time planning out this family year by year because families are all backstory. Um, I'm sure this has happened to you, but I mean, maybe I I think this happened to everyone where you'll, you'll early on in a relationship, you'll go to your partner's family's house for dinner or something. And, um, you'll come away and be like, no, that wasn't so bad. And they are like, are you kidding me? Could you believe what my mom called you? And you're like, well, she said I was a deer. Like, you know, like, they're oh because the subtext. Yeah. The subtext, it's all subtext. So the stuff that doesn't make it to the page, I just spent a long time on this family's subtext, you know? Um, And I really, but that's how families function. And I wanted to write about a family because they're hard. And so I think writers, especially me, shy away from them. I've got lots of characters who are only children. Mm -hmm. Um, But I really wanted to lean into it because the fact of almost everyone's life is you've got a family and whether you have a relationship with them or not, that means you, even if you think you don't have a relationship with the family, not having a relationship with your family is having a relationship with your family. Right. Like they're dominating your headspace. Mm-hmm. And so I really wanted to, to write that and get in there. And, you know, haunted house books are books about families. Mm-hmm. They're books about families that move into a house that's they can't afford and turns out to be haunted or it's books about families with secrets, families with things they pass on. It's their the ancestral home. Mm-hmm. It's very haunted house books or family books. I mean, the shinings about a family, the haunting of Hill house is about Eleanor trying to find a family. Um, the house next door is about uh, a family dealing with the house, the haunted house next to them. I mean, they're all about Tony Morrison's beloved is all about a haunted house and, and mm-hmm. a woman trying to put together a family after she's lost hers. Right. And so we are kind of seeing the story more or less, in fact, really we are through Louise and uh, she's the mother uh, of Poppy who's back home while she's over here on the other side of the country, basically trying to sell this house and dealing with her brother, uh, Mark. And what I really love is that, uh, and, and hopefully other readers experience this too, is that I feel like uh, Mark is really richly rendered character because I feel like when you introduce him, we get to meet him and see him through Louise's eyes and he comes off as kind of this flaky jerk. 
And I think he grows and blossoms as the book goes along. And uh, I got a, I've got the book right here in front of me. I can read the author blurbs and a uh, friend of the podcast uh, and Ferndale native, basically Josh Mallerman really pinned it when he said that the family and the brother sister dynamic is really the heart of this book. Can you talk about getting Mark and Louise right? And that uh, tension, that love hate thing going on with them. And maybe sure. just tell I us mean, more about I, Mark. Yeah. So Mark is that sibling that we all have who, you think they've always gotten it easy. Right. They've always gotten the breaks. They always get extra consideration from your parents. They take up the most space. They cause the most drama. I have they that sibling. Are... It's not me. Yes. It's the other sibling. Exactly. And, um, but you know, you, and you think you know who they are and they're not, you know, I have three older sisters and they all grew up. I'm, I'm the youngest and I'm a boy in a family of girls. And so they're always like, oh, you had it so easy. You were so spoiled. And I'm like, no, man, I, I know pain too. Um, but I wanted to do that with Mark where the reader would feel like I got this guy pegged. I know who this is, this obnoxious dude. And just to have that moment that I think we all have with our siblings at some point where we think, I don't know you. I thought I did, but this is a part of you I do not know. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 there's been a couple of moments in my life where a sibling or a parent or even a close friend, I've seen them in a different context, and I've been like, I didn't know that. I didn't. I don't know this person the way. Maybe what I think I know about this person or my assumptions about mm-hmm. this person. Mm-hmm. Um, and Louise, I felt I I love those guys. Those big loud people who take up space. Uh, they're fun to write. Uh, but Louise was harder for me because she's a very locked down oldest sibling, you know, who does the right things, who leads the right life. And I didn't want her to be boring. And that was hard. Mm-hmm. It's hard to have someone who follows the rules and does the right things and is is the responsible party who doesn't seem like a stiff mm-hmm. or like a repressed jerk Mm -hmm. and so i that was almost harder to get in a way well in a way i'm not spoiling this because it's already appeared in recent reviews i've seen is other people have already spoiled that uh well there are squirrels uh there are yes there are there are squirrels taxidermied squirrels that come to life and then eventually the uh antagonist of this book is a creepy doll uh, or yes. a puppet. Um, yeah. And so one thing to do is to put Louise, this put upon character and have her basically face uh, um, sanity questioning surrealism. So there is that. But uh, before I, uh, I'll let you answer well, I was just going to yeah, say really ahead. quickly is, is, yeah, exactly. Well, that was my key into Louise to be like, yeah. well, she's locked down because she needs to be, because right. she's had that experience that shows what happens when you aren't. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then uh, before I let you go, let's talk about just the crux of this. How did you land on dolls and puppets? I do think that, you know, folk art has a kind of spookiness in general. But how did you uh, how did you get to the the central monster, I guess, of this character? Because I am a depraved pervert (laughs) with no remorse. And and I clearly grew up in a cellar eating roaches. I knew yeah, it. Puppets and puppets and dolls are are a, a sad thing to inflict on a reader. But also, you know, besides taxidermy, they are the inanimate object that can make eye contact. And there is something they're alive, but they're not alive. And we treat them like they're alive, but sometimes we just throw them on the couch. They are complicated and they occupy a weird space in our heads. And I would, and and I think we all have weird relationships with inanimate objects mm-hmm. that we don't think about enough. Like, 
I'm sure you've had a laptop where you're like, oh, no, 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 no. You're like begging it not to crash. Right. You know, or like go faster or your car. You're like, oh, come on. You. Oh, my God. You do not do this to me right Uh now. Um, You know, and and so we interact with all these inanimate objects as if they're alive. And I I thought not enough people were exploiting that. So I Mm -hmm. Stuck my finger right in that soft spot and twist it. I love how psychological your books can get because when we when we uh, play with these dolls, if I had it on my hand, am I not projecting a part of my psyche to give it voice? Is that's not I... what it feels like though? Yeah, what it feels like is you've got another creature right there on the end of your arm. Wild, wild. We'll leave it there. Uh, as folks, you can enter this haunted house that they're trying to sell, and what happens when they encounter a creepy doll? Uh, Grady Hendricks, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Dude, thank you so much for having me and for being so aesthetically 100%. You got it, man. Take care. (laughs) Bye. And that was our chat with Grady Hendricks, author of How to Sell a Haunted House, out this week on Penguin Random House, New York Times bestselling author and uh, a new master of the horror genre of contemporary horror. Uh, And what a wild ride this book is. Uh, Very emotional, very emotionally resonant for sure, but also creepy as hell and also funny, but also terrifying. So the, the whole shebang. Thank you for tuning in to this latest episode of A Little Too Quiet. It's the Ferndale Library podcast, and it's brought to you by the friends of the Ferndale Library. If you want to support this podcast, go to ferndalefriends.org, but it would really help instead if you maybe left us a review, uh, maybe a five-star review. Uh, that would be excellent. Uh, help us find more listeners. As well as thanking the friends of the Ferndale Library, we also thank John Duffy. He's a local musician who gives us the intro and outro music, and we thank you for listening. Tune in next week. We'll be back with more.